Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm the group's resident here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. And so whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Well, hey, good morning, Frontline. It's just good to see all of you. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to worship with you. Uh, Also to be a part of the stand-up comedian here that we just had, uh, Janith up here. So my name's David Scott, and uh, I just wanted to try that (laughs) to see if I felt a little bit more Indian than I did 10 minutes ago. I'm just doing what he said. Hey, let me tell you about my family really quick. So I have a five-year-old and a one-year-old, almost two-year-old. And uh, in our house, I'm trying to teach Judah right now about grace. Judah's my five-year-old. So this is him. And uh, a couple weeks ago, he had a meltdown, just like every five-year-old does. And uh, the unfortunate thing for me was like, I just made this giant batch of chocolate pudding that was just fantastic. So it was, in the, it was in the fridge. And so he was having a meltdown. He wasn't eating his dinner. He was throwing a fit and tantrum. And I mean, tears and snot and everything. I mean, just losing it, right? And I'm going, I, I'm not paying for his mistakes. Like I'm still gonna eat this pudding in front of him. And, and then this thought hit me like, you're a pastor, like teach him about grace. And so I went, Dude, I'm going to teach you about grace today. And so you just tears and sobbing. He goes, what's grace? I was like, well, here's what grace is. Uh, I'm eating pudding and you don't have any, you know? So would you like some? And he goes, yes. I said, well, did you, did you earn it? No. Do you deserve it? No. I was like, you're right. And I'm sitting there eating it going, you don't deserve this but I'm going to give you a very little bit. And, you know, his eyes light up and he smiles. And so I, I put the spoon in his mouth and he takes a bite. And, I, and like a good parent, right? I'm like, okay, say it back to me. Now, what is grace, Judah? And he looks at me just confident and innocent. And he goes, grace is something that is brown and wet. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, life lesson. You don't get any more. You got the answer wrong. Move it on. Here's why I tell you this, right? Some things in life are taught, other things are caught. You know the difference? This was a failed attempt at teaching something, but uh, Judah, hopefully someday when he looks back on his life, he looks back on growing up in our home and relating to Shannon and I as his parents, to relating to his brother, to relating to many of you here as his church, hopefully what he can look back on someday is, is he can say, I wasn't just taught about grace, but I actually caught what grace actually means. I actually experienced it. I understood it. I felt it. I was rewarded by it. Things that I didn't earn, that I didn't uh, deserve, that I didn't create or or that I wasn't owed or or due, I still experienced from people around me, especially at my worst moments, in my hardest moments, at my most difficult moments. I mean, there's some truth here that we know, okay, when we're in our home, when we raise uh, children, children, just like all of us, are a product of the environment in which we were raised in. Some things are taught. Other things are caught. Sometimes they go hand in hand, and sometimes they're quite different, aren't they? I mean, just thinking about this, thinking about my own home growing up, and thinking about things that I learned, and and I'm sure there's some things that you learned that you were taught, but maybe it didn't jive with what was caught in your home. For example, maybe you were taught about grace, but what you caught was you ultimately will get what you deserve. Maybe you were taught about generosity and helping others and and being generous, Uh, but what you caught was you always look after yourself first because nobody else is going to do that. Maybe what you were taught 
what was my last one? Was to follow Jesus. I mean, if you look at your home or you look at your home life and you went, I, I was taught to follow Jesus. I was taught to make him a priority. I was taught to be a part of the local church. I, I was taught that. But what I caught was you only do that when it's convenient for you. And if we think about uh, our homes, the people that are closest to us, our children that many of us are raising. And today's message is, is going to skew towards a story that talks about a father's response to his children. And so if you're a parent or if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt and uncle, if you have kids or grandkids, whether they're adult children or young children, a lot of this message will be very easy for you to apply. But if you don't, this message definitely still applies to you. Uh, the question I want to ask you is, is, what are the people around you that maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus, what are they catching from you? What conclusions about Jesus are they arriving at because of their relationship with you? Not just what are you teaching, but what are they catching based on you, based on your life, based on your experience with them? Uh, we're in a series right now. It's four weeks. I'm really excited about it. It's called Zero Lost. You saw the video that we played for you at the beginning. And it's called Zero Lost because it really closely aligns with our vision here as a church. And our vision uh, is not to have a big church it's not to be a big church. It's not to reach lots of people. Our vision for our community is that we would see zero people in our context. That's zero people in our school district, zero people in our community, zero people in our neighborhood, zero people in our world, and zero people in our home that are unchanged by Jesus. We really believe Jesus' heart as he demonstrated, as he taught his followers, and what they caught from him as well was that Jesus wasn't just after a number. Jesus was after zero. He wanted to see zero people, zero lives unchanged by him and this message of grace that he came to offer. So what we're going to dive into today is this passage. Many of you have probably heard it before. Uh, it's known as the prodigal son story of the prodigal son. And to tee you up with the story, I want to give you kind of some overarching uh, pieces of the story because we're going to jump into it in the middle. We're not going to look at it through the approach of the son, which if you grew up in church, uh, you've heard this story before. Guaranteed you've heard this story before. If you haven't grown up in church or if church is a new experience for you, this is a perfect Sunday for you to dive in because I'm going to summarize the story for you. You're going to understand exactly what Jesus intended when he taught his disciples about this story about Grace. So here's a couple things that you would need to know. So there was a man who had two sons. There was an older son and a younger son. The younger son came up to his father and he said, Father, I want my inheritance. I want what I get when you die now. So in that day, what the father would do is he would sell part of his estate, whatever part that his son would inherit. His father sells it, gets the market rate for it, and he literally hands it to his son. He gives it to his son. And so what that son did is he left home shortly thereafter and he squandered all of it. It says in, in parties and drunkenness and, and prostitutes. I mean, he, he went to a far off land and in his world, right, or in the world's standards, he lived it up until it was gone. Then a famine hit the land. You could say the economy crashed. He was broke. He became desperate and impoverished. He started working in a field. He was feeding pigs and he began, his stomach growled looking at the slop that the pigs were eating. And he, this thought goes through his mind. Man, my dad has a lot of employees and a lot of workers and a lot of servants. They work hard, just as hard as I'm working, but they, they get so much better 
taken care of than what I'm getting right now. So he starts this idea in his head. I'm going to make my way back to my dad. I'm I'm, going to offer to him not to come back as a son because I've squandered that. Because I threw it away. I tarnished the family. I wasted what my father had inherited, probably from his father, who inherited from his father. I took that. I affected our generation. I took it and threw it away. When I come back, there's no way he will accept me back as a son. Maybe, just maybe, he will accept me back as an employee that I could work for him. So he rehearses the speech in his head the whole way back, and it goes like this. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me work for you. And this is where we pick up the story. Here's what it says. Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, here's his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine. Catch the way he refers to his son. This son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I think there's three truths. I don't often do like a three-point sermon, uh, but I have one for you today. I think there's three truths actually buried into this story that maybe you might not have seen or caught before. And the whole purpose of this story that Jesus tells his disciples is to point a picture to our heavenly father, to understand some things about him. So here's the first thing that jumps out at me in this first part of the passage. The first one is this, it's pursuit. So I want to talk to to parents, like I said earlier, parents, grandparents, nephews, uh, if you have nephews and nieces, uh, if you have cousins, if you have siblings, I, I want to talk to all of you who have somebody that is in your home or close to you relationally that does not have a relationship with Jesus. This whole series, right, it's called Zero Lost. We want to see zero lost. If we want to see zero lost in the nations and zero lost in our country and zero lost in our state and zero lost in our schools and zero lost in our work, it actually begins by us also seeing zero lost in our own homes. There's a thing called circle of influence and circle of control. We can't control almost anything as the, the bigger the turf gets of the things that we would desire to see people respond to a relationship with Jesus. But man, can we control a lot in our own home and the environment that we set in our own home. So I'm talking to you right now. I want you to think of who is somebody in my life that does not have a relationship with Jesus that's close to me. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Who is it right now that is close to you, that lacks closeness with Jesus? The first thing that jumps out at me in this passage is pursuit. What the Father demonstrates to us is there is a pursuit of lost people. If you're writing down notes, I'm going to tell you three of them. The first one is pursuit. The the heart of the Father is actually to pursue his son. His son leaves. His son is gone. I mean, I I just picture his back is to his father as he leaves off to this far off land and he squanders everything. There's a moment in his heart that shifts and he says, maybe I can go back. To use a different word, to use a church word, that's called repentance. 
Repentance literally means I was moving this direction and I stopped and I turned and I started moving in the opposite direction. When the son actually shows repentance, when he experiences repentance in his heart, he turns back and the father, as soon as the father sees him from afar, what does he do? He runs. I I can save you a lot of the cultural context of this passage And why it's significant, but here's what you need to know. In this culture, dads don't run. The elderly don't run. They just don't. I mean, it's almost like shameful and disgraceful. And The father puts all of the worldly, cultural, societal expectations on the back burner. He does not care what anybody thinks about him or his son or his family. He does not care at this point even what his son has done. He's not wondering what is he coming back with. He just sees his son and is moved on a heart level to pursue him. I mean, if I ask you this simple question right now, who in your life do you need to pursue right now? You know what the dad could have done? He could have sat just like this and sees him from way far away and wait. What does that do to you if you're the son? The dad doesn't do that. He stands up and he runs and he chases and he pursues and he comes up and the son begins his speech and the dad cuts him off and he goes, no speech necessary. You're my son. Pursuit is underestimated, I think, if we, if we look at the church and if we look at what Jesus has called us to do as followers of him. Jesus told us to go out into all of the world and to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. The word go implies action. If we want to see people closest to us actually respond to the gospel, the message of grace, and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again from the dead, if we want to see people actually respond to that, it requires requires us to move and pursue. I heard a stat recently, uh, this last week, it was really significant to me. Uh, it was a pastor sharing in his sermon, which I went, I'm talking about this too. He, he talked about the relationship between fathers especially and their children. So I want to talk to dads just for a second. Dads, grandpas, uh, if you play the role, how about that? If you play the role of dad in anybody's life, Do you know there's a 93% chance that the child that you father, whether that's biologically or relationally, whatever it is, there's a 93% that that child will follow Jesus if you do. That's stunning. A pursuit from a father is significant. I'm not mitigating or, or... Uh, lowering at any point the the pursuit of a a mother for her children either. I mean, that is so significant. It creates an environment in the home where children can experience what grace is actually like. It requires both. But I, I want to speak to the men here for a second and say, when you follow Jesus... When you're reading your Bible, when you're on your knees in prayer, when you're serving in the church, when you're giving generously, your kids don't get what you just teach. They catch what you live. And in our culture, whether you like it or not, whether you want to fight it or not, apparently 93% of those children, when they see dad model it, they say, I will too. Stunning. 
Let's keep reading. Luke chapter 15, verse 25, it says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Verse 27, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. It's my kind of party, right? We're throwing steaks on the grill. He keeps going. The older brother became angry. Of course he is. He's like, that's brisket. And he refused to go in. So his father went out. Sorry, I'm hungry right now, apparently. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice, notice the detachment from his brother, that's not my brother. That's not my flesh and blood. I have no relationship here. He's your son. He's your kid. AKA, he's your problem. But when this son of yours, your problem child, who has squandered your property, is he really thinking about the father's property here? His son is saying, I'm affected by him. He affected me. He, he affected our family. He affected our generation. You look at him. He, you're, you're putting steaks on the grill for him? What about me? He, who squandered your property with prostitutes, he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? It's a tense moment in the story, is it not? It's a significant moment in the story. I told you I have three things for you. The first one, right, was, uh, I already forgot what it was. It was Pursuit that we pursue, that we're called to pursue people. Here's the second one, the second truth that jumps out at me in this story that I just wanna share with all of you. It's this, lostness looks different. I have two kids at home, they're little. They're old enough that I'm starting to learn their personality and you know, I'm starting to see what makes them tick and what one needs, the other one doesn't need. Here's what I'm learning. They, they come from the same mom and the same dad. They're in the same home, they have the same rules, they have the same provision, they have the same everything. They're very different. The father has two sons who are very different. You have the good child, and then you have the problem child. You have the one that follows the rules and the one that doesn't follow the rules. You have the one that's bitter and angry, and you have the one that is looking for a good time all the time. You have two children, right, that are so different. Now, here's where it really comes out. They're both lost in the story. One of them's lost because he thinks he has earned the right to be a part of the family. The other one thinks he lost the right to be a part of the family. It requires a response from the father to address the lostness in both of them. It's so significant. I've never caught that before. As I've heard this story, as I've studied this story. So let me say this. Lostness comes in all shapes and sizes through sexuality and substances, rebellion, apathy, anger, depression, anxiety. And you know what's funny as a parent too? I often want to spare my children from the hardships of life. Anybody else relate to that? When you look at kids or you look at your family, you look at your brother or your sister, you look at people, friendships that are close to you that don't have a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes, isn't it like watching a car crash in slow motion? Or you're like, this, this isn't hard. This is math. Like you just, you're doing this, like A plus B equals C. You agree with me? Yes, I agree with you. Are you going to change? No. 
and they keep moving in that direction. Man, isn't it true? I, again, I, I'm a parent of two young kids. I have not experienced teenagers yet. I, I remember my aunt used to say raising her kids was like nailing jello to a tree. <laughs> that stuck with me. I went, that seems hard. I looked up images of this. I'm so off track of just nailing jello to a tree. Some people figured it out. They just did it while it was still in the box. It was really smart. Just don't let your kids go outside, I guess. I don't know. I haven't experienced a lot of the, the pain of those teen years. I know a lot of you have. I haven't experienced the pain of an adult child that walks away from faith or walks away from God, walks away from you, walks away from their sibling, walks away, that just carries deep pain or deep shame or deep anger or deep frustration. I haven't experienced that in my role as a father, but I know a lot of you have. Lostness looks different. I think it cuts the same. I mean, some of the deepest wounds of people that I've talked with and walked with here at our church, some of the deepest wounds revolve around children. Remember, the, the whole purpose of this passage is, is Jesus trying to explain to his disciples, this is my heart for people. That lostness looks different in every home or in every bedroom, in every county, in every country, all around the world. Lostness looks different. And the father is one who pursues his children because he loves them. Jesus is pursuing you because he loves you. This whole story points us to the character of God. What's so interesting about this story that I've had to just sit with is the father didn't try to stop the younger son in the story. Did you notice that? I mean, if my kid said, I want all your money and I want it right now, I would say no. And then I'd leave. <laughs> That's not what happens in the story. Father hands him the keys. Gives him the checkbook. The father knows his kid, does he not? He knows what he's going to do. Why would he do that? Here, here's what I've reconciled. What if the father allows his son to rebel? so that when he comes home, he will experience what being found is actually like. What if he allows him to be impoverished so that he can come back to the father and realize the father is the one that is the provider? What if he, likes, or what if he lets his son experience relationship after relationship after relationship or substance after substance, alcohol or drugs or what? What if the father simply allows his children to experience the lostness that they desire so that they realize it's empty and he invites them back saying, I'm not going to handcuff you. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I, I'm simply going to invite you back because Jesus is after a relationship 
You don't get a relationship, a real relationship, if it's forced or coerced. So in the role of parents or grandparents, in the role of close friends or children or siblings, those, if you think about the people that are lost in your life, and lost just means don't have a relationship with Jesus. What if what they're going through right now, God is allowing as he invites them back to him. That is such a hard truth to allow to actually penetrate the depths of our heart because all we want to do is stop it. And Jesus is saying, come on back. Come on back. Here's the last part of this passage. Luke 15, verse 31. Here's the father's response to his older son. My, my son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours, he doesn't say, we're throwing a party, we're doing steaks, we're doing brisket, we're we're slaughtering the whole thing, we're doing the best cuts because my son left and now he's back because he knows this other son's going to go, well, I'm your son too. That's what he's saying right now. He's saying, no, no, we, we had to invite him back. We had to celebrate. We had to throw a party as he comes back because he's not just my son, he's your brother. He's your family too. This hurt you too. We have to celebrate right now because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The thing that I just marvel at the father's response here is that he doesn't react. Uh, if you're a reactor, go ahead and raise your hand in the room. All right, bunch of liars in church on a Sunday. Daylight savings, you had an extra hour. You're thinking clearly. I'm the reactor in my home. I like to overreact. I don't like to, I just do it. And then I look back and go, whoops. Sorry, everybody. Kind of just make the rounds, make apologies. I'm a reactor. The father doesn't react. He responds. He responds to his son that ran away, and he goes, I know what my son needs right now. He doesn't need a word bashing. He's bashed himself the whole way back. But then he looks at his older son, and he goes, well, you don't need a word bashing either. You you need to experience grace like we're also giving grace. The father responds to both. Guys, we're... We're a church culture that's getting really known for our reactions right now. That's not helping anything. Social media, I'm so sick of reading comments and the comment threat. When you see like 105 comments on like a one line, you're like, no, I'm not reading those. And then I'm scrolling and I'm reading them. I'm going reaction, 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 like, reaction, reaction. Father models what a response actually looks like. I'm going to temper my own emotions here because I'm going I'm to give you what you actually need right now. It's going to be taught and it's going to be modeled. Our kids, our grandkids, people that are lost, your coworkers, whoever it is, they don't need a reaction from you. Here, here's a newsflash, right? Write this down. Lost people act lost. Did you know that? I, I live next to a bunch of them, neighbors and whatnot, and most of them are lost. And I tell you what, there's a spot on a wall in my house where I could just bust my head through because they're acting like it. 
Lost kids act like lost kids. Lost neighbors act like lost neighbors. Lost coworkers act like lost coworkers. Lost parents act, act like lost parents. Lost spouses act like lost spouses. But church people are supposed to act like Jesus. That's what he invites us to do, to respond. So here's what I want to say. I don't want to pretend like I know what a lot of you are going through. Because in your mind right now, you're probably thinking, this person that's close to me, this person that I have a relationship with, that doesn't work. Maybe they're a lost cause. Maybe, maybe they're rebelling. Maybe they don't care. Maybe they haven't turned. Maybe you've tried all of this. Maybe you're saying, David, you just, you're too young or you're too inexperienced or you haven't lived what I've lived yet. And if you did, maybe you wouldn't say some of what you're saying. Maybe you're right. I'm not going to pretend like I know it, like I have it figured out. There's no formula for raising children to follow Jesus, just like there's no formula for reaching lost people. So why would God invite us to be a part of that? I, th I think he's simply inviting us to experience his heart. Jesus is teaching all of his disciples. He's going, do you get it? Grace. They didn't earn it. They don't deserve it. But it's available. Jesus invites us into pursuing what matters most to him because we're also a part of that group. I've heard this before in, in sermons, but it's like we're, we're, some of us are the younger brother, right? And we've rebelled and we've ran and we've took off and we've squandered and we blew up and, and we come back and we have a speech in our heads that we say, when I sit down and pray, here's what I'm gonna say. God, please don't smite me. I know I did that. I know I said that. I know I gave this. I know, God, please don't punish me. And, and we've rehearsed this and we get down and what the Father wants to communicate to you is you don't need a speech. He's been pursuing you. Some of us are the older brother in the story. That we're upset because lost people in our life are acting lost. And we're upset because a lot of us have done the right things and we're experiencing brokenness and pain and tragedy and we look across the aisle and the one that did not act like that is not experiencing what we're experiencing. There is no formula. There just isn't. What Jesus is inviting his disciples into is the same thing that he's inviting us into is that he is actually at work. He's the one that's working in the lives of people all around us. So here, here's two verses I wanted to share with you. I think are so good. Luke 1 verse 17, it says this, and he will go on before the Lord in spirit, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I got a newsflash for you. The Holy Spirit's at work. Man, worshiping with you this morning, the Holy Spirit is at work and he's drawing and he's inviting us to experience him. But also part of God's experience that he's inviting us into is our own pursuit of the lost people closest to us in our lives. And if you say, well, I'm sick and tired of it and I don't have what I need and I, I, I'm, I'm tired and I'm empty and I'm frustrated and I'm angry and I, I, I'm watching this and it's just like a train wreck that happens over and over and over. Here's what I wanna say. You don't have to do it in your strength. You do it in his. This last verse, I love it. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3 to 5, it says this. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. 
Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. The same message that we get to steward for the people that are lost in our lives is also the same message of grace that we get to experience. That's what Jesus invites us into. So I'm sure you got people in your life right now that are lost. I'm sure you got people in your life that are broken. Maybe it's you. And you're saying, I've been gone for a long time. Maybe, maybe you've been here. Maybe you're the older brother. Maybe you've been here and you've been faithful and you've been on time and you sat in the seat and you served the thing and you checked the box and you read your Bible and you're doing the devos, you're doing all the right stuff and you go, I, I don't have a relationship with God at all. The same message of grace is available to you as it is the person that walked in off the street saying, I, I'm gonna give this thing one more try. The message of Jesus is this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he went to the cross, he was nailed there, he died the death that we deserved. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. Power of the Holy Spirit made available to us. And he gives us charge and he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you and surely I will be with you to the end of the age. How is God with us right now? The Holy Spirit. So as we close, here's, here's your questions, okay? The first one is this. Who do you need to pursue? Some of you need to pursue somebody. Some of you have been pursued. Maybe it's why you're here today. Who do you need to pursue? Second one is this. Where do you need to respond? Was God inviting you or prompting you or pushing you or providing an opportunity for you to respond? But the last one I think is the most important. It's this, what is the Holy Spirit inviting you to do right now? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just pray. Maybe it's weep. Maybe it's just be sad. And God's gonna say, I'm with you. Maybe it's to share, maybe it's to encourage, maybe it's to text, maybe it's to call. Maybe it's to take a risk and be, to be bold. Maybe, maybe it's to take a step back. What's God inviting you to do to the power of his Holy Spirit right now? I just wanna create a space where we can pray. Let's just let him lead us. That's all we're after. Holy Spirit, you do your work, you call us, you lead us in the way that you want us to follow will be obedient. So let's pray together. God, we just come before you right now. We just ask through the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd be available right now, that you'd be present in this moment, God. And the lostness that we experience in our lives hurts. We just acknowledge that, that there's pain there. God, we know you're not far from the brokenhearted, that you're near, that you're close, that you desire to be close and that you're, you're inviting us to experience something from you just as much as, as you are inviting those that are, are breaking our hearts to also experience you. So I just pray through the power of your Holy Spirit right now that you would just invite us uh, into your presence, that we would experience you, that in this last song that we sing together, that we would worship you that we would claim the promises that you have made to us to be true, that we would yield our kids to you and our grandkids to you, our friends and our parents, our siblings and our spouses, our coworkers, we'd yield those to you. 
God, they are all yours. This is all yours. And we are all yours. And so we just lift up these prayers, these requests, these burdens to you. And we do so in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said together, amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.